0: Good morning. Welcome to East Bay Calvary Church. Most of you are thinking, what happened to Pastor Brian? Is he gone? He was here, and uh, we've been swapping a little bit of uh, responsibilities this morning all around, and it's my joy as the pastor of worship to kind of present something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, where maybe you can learn from my mistakes and hopefully not make the same ones. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian actually introduced us to what the purpose of the church is. I mean, that's what this whole series is about. What's the goal? What's the point of church? And he was standing over here. Some of you are like, you missed that. And so you're like, what in the world is this object here, right? What, what is it? It's a target, okay? So what is the goal or target of the church? And he used two very simple words to describe God's mission for the church. Two words. Does anyone remember? Starts with an M and ends with an OR more, and the other one was buh and etter, better, more and better disciples. And so he talked about these two goals that Jesus Christ has given the church of what our purpose is, why we're here, why do we show up every Sunday morning, what are we all about? And it's about more and better. And this morning, we're going to be talking about this interesting place where these two kind of cross, section, they kind of cross paths. Because you can't have more without better, and you can't have better without more this is crowd participation Sunday you guys give Pastor Brian more energy than you do me so I think right now you just need to pinch your neighbor right now just go ahead and do that do it do it right now pinch your neighbor away I feel like I'm the most awake person in this room which is really odd for me because usually I'm the least awake person okay but we're going to be talking about that more and better cross-section. So what we're going to do is we need to fasten our seatbelts, keep your hands and arms inside the cart at all times, and let's just dive into this, okay? Now this summer, I taught one of the summer electives uh, at the 9 o'clock hour, and it had a crazy made-up word. The word was lostology. How many of you were in that class? By the way, I have graduation diplomas in the Connection center, the Conexus center, so go find that afterwards. Luke has one for you, so make sure you grab one of those. About 75 of you were in that class, Lostology, and I'm going to be using that word a couple times, and so I thought I would define what Lostology is, okay? It's just basically this. It's the study of being lost, Lostology, the study of being lost, and what that can teach us, physically lost, about being lost spiritually lost. So it kind of bridges the gap between those two. Now it's centered on three stories that Jesus told in reaction to kind of what uh, Pastor Dallas was talking about earlier. Sinners were showing up in Jesus' feet and, and the religious elite, the insiders of the time, really didn't understand what Jesus was here for. They thought, he had some other mission, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. See, here's what I'm all about. And so he shared these stories, these three stories, about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son uh, in Luke 15. Um, so that's kind of where those, those stories are found. And Jesus shared these stories to help the spiritual insiders of that time to kind of understand what was going on in his heart. See, when they were mumbling behind his back, he was probably getting irritated because he's like, they don't even get the point of why I'm here. Here's these people that were supposed to be waiting for me, supposed to be helping me with the mission, and they're actually the ones that are like hindering me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is find the lost and love on the lost. The first time I had been personally introduced to the concept of lostology, Julie and I were ministering in a church in Alma, Michigan. Everyone do this. If you put it right dead center, that's where we were, in the middle of the mitten, okay? Alma College, home of the Scots. Yes, I did buy a kilt for a time. Julie made me give it away. <clears throat> but we were in, Mich- in the middle, middle of Michigan when I first did this, and I, we, had only, we only had two kids, and I had tons of hair. In fact, more hair on my head than I did on my face. I look a little bit like Scott Tevins over here, right here, right here. So it migrated somehow over time. So I thought I'd throw those pictures up so you could understand. Yes, I did have hair at one time. Well, anyway, Lostology and Jesus' passion for the lost were really getting me fired up to share my faith with everyone that I encountered. And both Julie and I had tons of experiences seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus, and we were discipling and moving people forward as they surrendered their lives to God. And it was very exciting. And one of these times, one of these people that we went way out of our way to reach was our next-door neighbor. He lived right across the street. His name was Scott. Okay? Some of you who were in the class are going to remember this story. Scott's across the street. He was a shell-shocked veteran, and uh, he had been in an accident where uh, one of the Army trucks that he was working on fell off, fell off the, the, the pylons and like basically crushed his spine in half. And it was amazing that he could even like limp along Uh, whether or not be alive. And so we really wanted to reach out to Scott. We knew he didn't know Jesus. And so we started praying for opportunities to share our faith with him. Now over time, Scott would start to hang around our fence. He'd kind of peer over it. Do you remember Tim, the two-man tailor's neighbor from Home Improvement? This is what he would do. He would just stay over the fence. But he wouldn't be there like chatting. We'd be doing something like gardening or, you know, mowing the grass. And then you'd feel like this presence this creepy presence behind you, and then this is what you would see. You would see Scott just watching you. And so after we got past the whole creepy feeling with Scott, we just realized he just wanted to hang around and talk. And so we would just talk back and forth. And, uh, but every time we, we would t- kind of make that turn towards Jesus, church, Bible, anything related in that field, Scott would just be like, and I'm out of here. He'd just kind of bolt for the door. Now, we started to get frustrated by this lack of being able to get past this roadblock, right? Every time we would get get close, it would just stop. And so we prayed that God would open up a special and unique opportunity for us to just share the gospel in a way that that Scott would hear it and, and be able to accept it. Now, several months went past, and I was under my van changing the oil of the car when I heard some movement to my left and as I kind of peered over my shoulder, I see two toes, you know, two boot the toes of the boots sticking under my car. And then I look up through the engine block and guess who I saw? Scott. I just about smashed my face on the bottom of the car. I mean it just was one of those things where he just like silently came up like a ninja. And he started instantly started to, to chat and to talk about these conspiracy theories he was having, you know, with all these things going on. And, and I was just getting my irritation level was just starting to rise. Ever ever been in a project in your midway? Lights going down, the sunlight's going, and I've got to change the oil of the car. I've got, to, I've got to be able to see under here. I don't have my lights. I don't have anything. I just want to get this thing done. I want to eat dinner. I'm, I'm starting to get irritated. And Scott just keeps sharing these stories over and over again. And he started sharing these stories. Uh, 9-11 had just happened like three months prior. And so he's, he's talking about aliens and tinfoil hats and all these kind of crazy things. And I'm just responding to him, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's nice, great, great. Over and over again, just repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, he'd share something, and uh uh-huh, uh-huh, nice, great, great. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, this pattern continued on for a little while, and Julie came out and uh, said, hey, Ryan, dinner's, dinner's on. And then before she left, she kicks me super hard. And I'm under the car, so I can't really defend. I didn't even know it was coming. It was just one of those things like, what was that about? So angrily I finish, angrily I must admit, angrily I finish the oil and, and uh, I say goodbye to Scott and I head into the house and I, I'm like, Julie, what in the world? Why, why did you kick me? And she said, did you hear what Scott asked you? Not Really? And she said this, Scott asked you point blank, Ryan, what happens when you die? And do you know how you responded? Anyone have a clue? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, that's nice, great, great. Here's the guy I've been praying for for months, for months, that I would get an opportunity to share Jesus with, and here he lays out The question, right? What happens when you die? And what do I do with it? I ignored it and went on with my business. I blew it. I totally blew it. A few months later, God called us out to Seattle, Washington, and I never got another opportunity to share Jesus with Scott. And I tried. Desperately, I tried. We would come back every once in a while, and we'd make our way through Alma, and we'd try to stop with Scott. But every time we got to mention Jesus, Christ, Bible, church, Guess what would happen? Scott would bolt for the door. And I tell you what, that's, that blown opportunity is a regret I'll take to, to my grave. And I, and I pray that somehow God was gracious enough to give Scott another opportunity to hear about him. And I'm sure he did. But that's a regret I'll take to my my grave. That day I messed up. I put more value I'm changing my oil, something that was temporary. I mean, how many times do you have to change your oil? Every 3,000 miles. I mean, for me, that's like every month. And it's just a temporary thing. It doesn't last forever. And, and here was this, this eternal matter that Scott had, an, an eternal destiny type of situation. And I totally blew it because I valued a temporary thing over an eternal thing. And today we're going to be talking about our value system, which brings us to the main point. Can you believe we're going to start with the main point? Maybe we can just go home after this. Does that sound good? Okay, here's the main point. A search reveals your values. It's in your notes. A search reveals your values. Now, right now, I want you to think about two things that you've lost, two items that you've lost, or people. I've lost children before. Two things that you've lost. First, an item that you searched for. Do you have that? An item you searched for, you lost it, you searched for it. On the other hand, I want you to to think of an item that you lost, but you didn't search for at all. You're like, oh well. So an item you lost and searched for, an item you lost but didn't search for. Does everyone have two objects in their mind? Now let's talk about this. Let's bring our eyes to the first one, the item that you searched for, okay? You lost it, you searched for it. Think about these questions just internally. Why did you search for this item? Why did you search for it? How long did you search for it? Was it just like a two-minute search and you're like, ah, oh, I can't find it? Or did you search until you found it? If you found the item, how did you feel? Pretty good? Excited? Ecstatic? Now, if you lost this item, you went looking for it but didn't find it, how did that affect you? Now, let's switch to the second item, the one that you didn't search for. Question one, why didn't you search for this item? How did you feel about losing it? What did you do to compensate for its loss? Did you just kind of move on with life or did you just simply replace it? Was it just something that was easy to replace? Now the reason I ask these questions is because we almost never stop to think about our decisions why we search or don't search to find something that we've lost. But yet, we can really gain some valuable information if we pause to reflect on the decision to make a search or not to make a search. Valuable information like this. We search for what we value. You see, if we lose something and we don't search for it, we're basically saying this. This item does not have a very high value to us. We don't really treasure it. It doesn't really matter to us. Now, when we lose an item that has little value, it can be inconvenient to us. But when we lose a, 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 a valuable item, it can be almost a tragedy sometimes. Sometimes items can be easy to replace, but sometimes we lose things that are so valuable, even sentimental value, that if we lose it and can't find it, it leaves a void in our life that we can't replace. Now, the point is this. The more we value something, the longer and harder we're going to search for it. Now let's shift our focus from a lost object to a lost person. And let's take it even a step farther. Not from a lost object to a lost person, but a spiritually lost person. The situation has changed dramatically, hasn't it? Now let me tell you this. if, If a search reveals our values then what does a lack of searching reveal? What does a lack of sharing Jesus with others reveal about who or what we value? Well, I'm going to be brutally honest with you this morning because you'll have five or six or seven weeks to forget what I said to you today before I come back around so the tarn feathers will have dried by then, okay? I did tell you to buckle up. Here's the hard truth this morning. No search. No search no value. That's the hard truth this morning that we're going to be facing this morning. And as you read the Bible and Jesus' story about lost people, there's no question who Jesus valued. He valued people. So this morning we're going to be turning to Luke 19 and we're going to be spending most of our time there. The scripture will be up on the board, but if you go to like the last quarter of your Bible, you'll be really close. Okay. If you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, names that you know, keep going until you find Luke, okay? If you see something like Daniel and Malachi and stuff like that, words you're like, I've never seen a word like that. You just keep going until some words make sense and you'll find it. Then if you get the ones like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the shins, and the shins, and the shins, come come back, come back, okay? Luke 19 is where we're going to be and we're going to spend most of our time there this morning. All the scripture will be up on up on the board, so if you don't have your uh, Bible with you this morning or your electronic device, uh, it'll be here for you. okay? Now in Luke 19, we're going to be looking at a response to what Jesus uh, had to people whose value systems didn't match up with his. This is a story about a man named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's Christian jargon, for he was very short, diminutive. Not only was he a short man, but Zacchaeus was also a tax collector. Uh, and are tax collectors really popular today? When you get an email from the IRS, are you like, yes, I cannot wait to open this? When you get a call saying, hey, uh, this is you know the tax collector, I need to talk with you, are you like, awesome, I cannot wait to talk to Fred, I'm so excited about my appointment with him? No, not really. So let's just go back 2,000 years ago. They were even less popular. Th- these were Jews that had bid for how much money they could rip off of people. And obviously we're not going for the low number, we're going for the high number. So whoever could get the most money out of the people, those were the people that Rome would hire to be the tax collectors. So here's Zacchaeus. He's a total con rip artist and he is all, he's in bed with the enemy and no one likes him at all. So, the religious elite, elite of, the, of the day, the insiders, the spiritual insiders of the day, wrote him off as completely worthless. A man of little value. In fact, if they lost Zacchaeus, they wouldn't lose any sleep. That took me like 10 minutes, and I just fell flat right there. You know how long I worked on that sentence right there. But see, Jesus did not view Zacchaeus this way. As Jesus was coming into town, he just performed a a huge miracle. He just uh, made a blind man see from birth. Uh, He was blind from birth, made him see. There was a huge crowd that was following Jesus to see what he would do next. And as he's coming into town, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming and wants to see him. But there's this huge crowd around Jesus, and he's short. And so he looks for the nearest object to climb up, which is a sycamore tree, according to the song that I was referencing earlier. And he climbs up this tree and he's looking down at Jesus. And as Jesus comes towards him, Jesus calls him out and says, Zacchaeus, get down here, come talk with me. And in fact, hey, listen, I'm going to come over to your house and we're going to hang out together. He just boldly does all of this in front of everybody. Just ignores the crowd, ignores what's going on. And here is what the response of the crowd was to this action. Verse 7. All the people, this huge crowd of spiritual insiders and people who wanted to see what Jesus was doing and heal people and all this, this is what they thought. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Do you know what this word means? Grumble, complain. You know, it's like your kids. Hey, kids, today we're going to be doing chores. They're complaining and grumbling. And they say this, he has gone to be the guest of a what? Here's the nickname that Pastor Dallas talked about earlier. Sinner. This was not a very popular nickname. This would be a nickname you wouldn't really want. This would be a spiritual outsider. Someone who was not welcome to be inside Someone who was actually shunned, put off, put to the side, seen as worthless. What is Jesus doing with that guy? That sinner? Because Jesus took time to search for Zacchaeus and valued him as a person, because Jesus broke all sorts of social norms of the time to hang out with him, Zacchaeus... In the next two verses, 8 and 9, come to know Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord. In response to Zacchaeus' decision to follow him, Jesus answers the question from the crowd in verse 10. And the question was, why is he hanging out with the sinner? Well, Jesus answers the question, and here we go. For the Son of Man, this was one of Jesus' personal nicknames for himself, Reminding us that he stepped down off of heaven's throne, but he was born as a human baby. All the power of the universe in a little bitty tiny living space. For the Son of Man came. This word means he chose to do something. He chose to leave one place and go to another he made a conscious choice, and what did he choose to do? Why did he come? What was his mission? This is why I came, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek. This means to carefully look for, like hide and go, seek. You, you don't just, oh, okay, okay, one, two, three, four, ten, ready or not, here I come, and then you're like, I wonder what's in the fridge. That would be an awesome way to get rid of the kids, parents. That might be something you want to do this afternoon. Kids, let's go play an intense game, okay? I want you to really hide, really hide well, like in your bed with your eyes shut. Um, th- this isn't one of those things. It Seek means to, like, earnestly look for, like your life depended on it or the, or the person's life depended on it. You're sweeping back and forth. It's like looking across the grid until you find what you're looking for. I came to seek. It's methodical. The Son of Man came to seek and to do what? Save. This word means to rescue. Literally means rescue. As if someone were in a pool and they're drowning and someone reaches in and grabs them and brings them out. Rescue. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. So he came to carefully search. He came to carefully rescue. But who and what did he come to do this for? For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Someone who is unable to find their way, they're unaware of where they really are, and in a sense of God's kingdom, lost means someone who is going to hell. Someone who hasn't surrendered their life to God, for the wages of sin is death. Death means eternal death, hell, separation from God. But the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And the search is so urgent that Jesus had to keep reminding everyone around him time and time and time and time and time again what his rescue mission was because they just weren't getting it. Even the disciples weren't getting it. You see, the common everyday person of the time wanted Jesus to be a political messiah, almost like a a king to oust out Rome. Rome had, had uh, come in and conquered Jerusalem and, and laid waste to everything and they were kind of like letting them rule a little bit but not really and... And so there was this, always this military presence and it was oppressive and they wouldn't let them do things that they, were, they really wanted to do and worship. And there just was a, it was a mess. And so the everyday person said, great, Jesus is here. He's going to be our king. He's going to kick out Rome. Awesome. That's who the Messiah needs to be. But that's not what he was here for. The religious insiders of the day just wanted him to be a good teacher. Okay, what you're saying is challenging. Thank you. But don't change anything. Don't mess our system up. Let's just leave things the way they are. Let's just leave it there. His family and friends also had an agenda. We read this time and time again. They just wanted him to blend in. Even his brother and mother were like, what are are you doing? Like, come home. Like, just come home. They they didn't really understand the mission of Jesus. They really didn't get it for a time. They wanted to blend in. Just be a good carpenter. Be a good brother. Provide for your mother. Don't go out there. Just come home. But this is not the reason why Jesus stepped off the throne of heaven to be born as a baby to come to our earth. Jesus... Late mission was laser beam focus. Again, the target. More and better. He had a laser lock on the target, and this was his target. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. In Matthew's account of the stories that I mentioned earlier, the lost objects, in Matthew's account of the lost sheep, Jesus. Shed some light on how much God cares for the lost. He adds this. After the shepherd drops everything he's doing to look for one sheep out of a hundred that he's lost. So he's at a 99%. If I were in school, 99 would have been awesome. That would have been like the impossible grade. i have been like, wow, I got a perfect score. Just one off, right? The shepherd drops everything to look for the sheep. And in response, this is what he says. In the same way, your heavenly father is not willing, not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. And Jesus was driven by this message, this value system for the lost. 99 sounds great. It's just one. One's missing. I've got 99. The same way that the Heavenly Father is not willing that any one of these should be lost. Jesus had the same mission. I came to seek and save those who were lost more and better. And Jesus was driven by this system. God's love for the lost and his actions backed up his words. Here are a few things that he did. Jesus personally searched for the lost. His actions backed up his words. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, the woman caught in adultery, the woman who washed his feet, the thief on the cross, every single one of his disciples, yes, including Judas, the one who would betray him, he was out there to find the lost and to share the gospel, the good news that he came to die for them. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Every encounter He loved the lost, hung out with them, and showed them that God wanted a relationship with them. Now, Jesus also trained a spiritual search and rescue crew, disciples, not just the 12, but there was a surrounding circle and then a surrounding circle around that. He trained a search and rescue crew to find the lost. For three years, the disciples watched him day in and day out to reach the lost all around him. And slowly but surely, Jesus equipped the disciples with God's value system for the lost. And in his final talk with them, before he goes back up to heaven, he's about to leave and they're never going to see him physically at this point. It was a pep talk, not to just, hey, wait around till I get back. Why don't you form a club and just sit there and talk about what I did and, and just reminisce about the good old days. It was a laser beam mission For more and better. Go into all the world, teach the gospel, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey. More and better. And then better produces more. And then more produces better, which produces more, which produces better, which produces more. And they didn't just leave them empty-handed. I love this part. Because this includes us today. Jesus empowered his crew for the search. Take some time to read through the book of Acts to see how Jesus empowered his lost, his search and rescue crew with the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, this is the same Holy Spirit. He doesn't change ever. God doesn't change. So if the power of the Holy Spirit's there, the power of the Holy Spirit's here in us as believers. And this is the same Holy Spirit that empowers us to share the gospel today. And the point here is this. He didn't just tell them to do it. He didn't just kind of do it and hope they would catch on. He provided the actual power for them to do it. And then lastly, Jesus, this is the biggest one, Jesus built the bridge so that the lost could come back to God. He built the bridge, the huge Mackinac Bridge, the only bridge that could get to the other side. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and paid every debt. That separated us from God. Every single debt. In full. And then built the bridge, the bridge for the lost to come across. And if you don't agree with that, all we need to do is turn to John 14, 6. Let's read this together. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the important part. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the bridge. Again, Jesus' mission was laser beam focused for looking for and rescuing those who were lost. Again, let's read his motto, found in Luke 19.10, the one verse that we're really looking at today. Let's read it together. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's lostology in a nutshell right there. If Jesus came to do that, then probably we should be doing that too, as Christ followers. Now, why was he so focused on the lost? One word starts with a v and ends with a alues. What is it? Values. He valued people and he was driven by God's value system for the lost. John 3.16, the most understood and known verse in the whole entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, the bridge, shall not die or perish but have eternal life. We all understand that verse, but a lot of times we forget there's a verse that follows it. And that's verse 17. So let's bring that one up. For God did not send his son into the world to do what? Condemn. A lot of times our value system is this. We want to be right as the church. And so a lot of times being right is doing a lot of this. You are wrong. Because if I'm right, someone's wrong. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? Save the world through him again there's the bridge through jesus let that one just sit for a moment on your heart he didn't send his son into the world to just come and judge the world and say you're wrong you're you're lost you're you're living like a sinner i can't believe you're doing this why would you why would you do this against me why would you sin against me why why would you force me to come here and fix this situation all these things we say as parents you know Oh, that's why we can't have nice things around here. He keep eating the apple. and He sent Jesus into the world to do this, quite literally, nailed to a cross. And as he's dying on the cross, as was mentioned a few weeks ago, he's forgiving people for what they're doing to him while they do it. And he could have said, you're a bunch of idiots, why are you doing this to me? Be evaporated. Whew. If I only had that power, that would be really bad. That's why he has it and I don't. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it and point finger at people. He came to love, forgive, and build the bridge so that then eventually that more could become better. Do you see the point? And no greater statement of value has ever been ever said before than this. This is the gold standard by which we have to evaluate our actions, our attitudes, and our thinking as Christ followers. Do we value people? Do we value lost people like he does? And even though we know that God values the lost, he loves the lost, even though we know that Jesus passionately searched for the lost and gave his own life for the lost, we still struggle as Christ followers, do we not, with sharing our faith? A few months ago, maybe four or five months ago, I asked a question. How many had been saved in the last five years? And we had like four adults stand up. And then I, so then I was like, okay, let's stretch that out, maybe we'll get a better response. Ten, and then another like four or five, right? And then there was like a long gap, long gap, long gap. Twenty plus, and then we started really seeing some movement. And for me, that was like a litmus test for what's going on, maybe in our hearts here. That maybe we've been focusing on the better, but maybe not the more, and we need to have both, do we not? Jesus came to seek and save. Seek, find them, save them, and then equip them to go seek and save. So I was thrilled with the opportunity that Pastor Dallas gave me to teach this Lostology class. Because it's something that convicts me every single day. You see, God loves the lost. And we often come up with creative excuses for why we don't share And here are four of the most common ones, and by the way, I've used every single one of these at times, especially this first one. Evangelism isn't my gift. Anyone want to admit they've used that one? Thank you for being honest. The two people. There you go in the back. Thank you. And because it's not my gift, you need to get off my back because my gift is the gift of helps. I'm just here here to help people. So once they come here, then I'll be friendly to them. But it's not my gift. I took the gifts test and evangelism wasn't on there. So I don't need to do it. I've used that. How about this one? I've used this one. I don't have enough time. Whew. I teach Sunday school. I volunteer for VBS. I'm in three Bible studies in a small group. I just don't have enough time to go looking for the lost. And if I had, if I, if I, if I make time, I would have to say no to these other things. How about this one? I don't know any non-Christians. I encounter this one a lot and it's really easy to do because we like church people, do we not? We like hanging around. When we have to stop you guys from handshaking and hugging and doing all that, it's, it's like the hardest part of the whole entire service because you guys enjoy each other and we want you to enjoy each other. But we use this as an excuse since coming to know Jesus, you know, over time, I'm just not really comfortable hanging out with people that don't know Jesus. They do and say things that aren't like church people. Besides, doesn't the Bible tell us that we're supposed to live holy and separate lives? How about this one? I need more training. More training. Before I share my faith, I need to learn how to share my faith. But please don't suggest any training that tells me I need to go out and do it. Isn't that what we pay the missionaries to do? No matter how you slice and dice it, no matter what our excuses are, no matter how legitimate they feel to us, they all seem pretty lame in the face of Jesus' laser beam mission. Does it not? Seek and save more and better, the lost. When we line up our excuses with the light of God's truth about how he values people, it's embarrassing. It, it is. It really is. Now the question is this. If Jesus, if God loved us so much that he launched the greatest search and rescue mission of all time for you, for me, what should our response be to those who haven't? it yet we need to stop being so selfish we need to stop being so self-centered self-focused and we need to start go looking for the lost and god will empower us to say the things that that person needs to say or hear from from scripture and from what we've learned and from our own testimony god will use you to reach the lost and that's what we need to be doing And when we don't go looking for the lost, what does that show us? It shows us that we're focused completely on the wrong value system. Maybe we don't share our faith because we feel that we don't know what to say. I've been there. Maybe talking with people about Christ makes us feel uncomfortable. You may think that I do this all the time and it just jazzes me up. Man, I have to like, dear Lord, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And this is your pastor speaking. Maybe we might even admit that we're just plain afraid to share our faith. What will they think of me? What will their reaction be? What will happen at work once the cat's out of the bag? Or maybe we just spend too much time judging the lost for acting well. Lost? How else do we expect them to act? But sadly, the deeper and darker truth may be really scary, more than all these excuses combined. Here's the last point of the morning. If a search reveals your values, what does a decision not to reveal? If a search reveals what we value, then what does the decision not to search reveal? Maybe we don't share our faith because lost people really aren't that valuable to us. And if that's the case, we really need to deal with the fact that people don't matter to us as much as they matter to God. And people, we need to deal with it. Like, right now. I don't know about you, but when I look at this question, it's getting really close to home. Is it not? I feel convicted. Every time I look at this question, if a search reveals our values, what is the decision not to reveal? But facing this uncomfortable truth head-on might just propel us forward and adjust our thinking, our living, our values, and truth be told, we probably don't need any more help with evangelism. What we really need is a heart adjustment. And so this morning... We're just going to provide some time for us to do that. Someone asked this question last week in our text questions, and we we weren't able to get it to it. You guys had such phenomenal questions, seriously, and we're going to address some more next week. But I'd like to address one, how do I rekindle this passion, or how do I get it if I've never had it? There were two that were very similar in that, that sense. Well, if we value people like Jesus values people, if we value people like God values people, then we would live differently. And so what we need to do as Christ followers is line ourselves up with how Jesus was, with his mission. We come to seek and save the lost because he came to seek and save the lost more and better. And I think we honestly need to face our excuses that we use to not search, and we need to say that is wrong I'm wrong and that excuse is sin and it's keeping people from hearing about Jesus who saved me, who died for everybody and I'm being selfish because I'm keeping it to myself. And when God gives you opportunity to see people the way he sees people, guess what? Your passion o-meter is going to be like boom. It's going to overflow. People will see it. People will understand it. They'll know it. And you'll get more and more opportunities to share your faith with, with other people. But it comes down to being broken over it. The Bible says we need to be broken over our sin, and then we need to change the habit. So while the band comes up, the worship team's going to come up, and I'm going to start playing a song. I want you to listen carefully to the words while we're presenting it. God moves you to repent, to ask for forgiveness for not valuing people like he does. Then do it. Today, right now, just say, God, I'm wrong. I am selfish. I've not seen people the way you see them. And ask God for a new heart. In fact, don't ask God for a new heart. Ask God for his heart. Because if God gives you his heart for people, then guess what? You're going to view them the way He sees them, as valuable. Valuable enough to send His one and only Son to die for them. Then, ask Him to forgive you for not sharing the life-altering truth. To say, I'm, I'm sorry. Would you give me opportunities today to correct this mistake? Then later during the song... I'm going to ask you to join with us late in the song as we sing about this Jesus, friend of sinners. So in response, just take a moment to have an honest conversation with God. Share with him your excuse. Tell him it's wrong. Ask him to forgive you, and then join us in a few moments. Father, we are absolutely wrong for not sharing the life altering truth that you died to have a relationship with us, to fix the gap between us that we created that we could not fix. You came because you loved us. Love compelled you to come. May we stop being so selfish and inward-focused and may we see people the way you see them, as valuable, as people you desire to love, to cherish, to accept into your family. May we see you moving mountains in our lives as you remove barriers between us and people that need to hear the gospel for Jesus' sake. Lord, forgive.